The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley in the National Prayer Chapel. I sat this morning with 
the Lord in great sorrow over what's happening in America. I know that July 4 is just around the the door. And I know there will be great agitation, demonstrations, protests, violence in America because we are a divided people. We no longer believe in the same values. We no longer believe in the Judeo-Christian ethic. Some of us do and some don't. Some want to fundamentally change America. I want to change America. I want us to go back to those foundation principles that have made America the nation we are today. But we have allowed the darkness to come in and almost totally destroy this nation. I want to talk with you today about a very serious question. And I will follow it up tomorrow with another broadcast. I'm not going to go into anything sensational today. I want to talk to you about one question. How real is God to you, and how real do you want him to be? How do you, how, how real do you want God to be to you? I've come to the conclusion that I want to be as close to God, I want to be as close to Jesus as it is humanly possible to be. I want to go back with you in time. I have shared this story before, but I'm going to share it with much detail today because it was a fundamental turning point for me in my understanding of how close and how real I want God to be in my life. The year was 1990. My wife, my late wife, Jan, and I had moved out of Washington, D.C. to the fastest-growing place at that point in America. It was Moreno Valley, California. I had been pressed by very close friends to leave Washington, D.C., shake the dust from my feet, and go to a place where we could prosper in ministry. One friend had made a pledge of one year's salary for the new church startup. Another friend had pledged a large sum of money for the actual opening of the church, for the office rental for the other supplies necessary and so without much prayer without 
hearing from God. We said, we're out of Washington, D.C. We're done here. We don't want to be here anymore. Now, this was after many years of my pastoring in the Washington metro area. So we moved with a moving van. No, a U-Haul truck, to be exact. Towing a car behind. We transitioned to Moreno Valley, California. We found a beautiful house. We rented it. And we prepared to open a brand new church. But within two weeks of arriving and having unpacked everything, when the first check was supposed to arrive for my first month's salary of that year donated, it did not arrive. And I received a phone call from the family saying that they had had a blow-up in their marriage and they'd had some difficulty in their business and they would be unable to fulfill their commitment. I then received another call from the family who had pledged a large sum of money. And they said, we're sorry. The Lord has told us we're not allowed to donate this money to you. I was heartbroken. We were panicked, and we said we'd better get jobs. So we immediately began searching for positions. I'm not going to share a lot of that story, but it became very obvious very quickly that we were going to run out of money. We took the last money we had on a credit card and invested it in a business. And no sooner had we done that Then the company closed after discovering that the CEO had been embezzling funds and that the business was a scam. We were without very much resource. We did not have the money to move back to Washington, D.C., and besides, we didn't want to do that. And so God began to put us in the olive press. Now, the American church is going to be placed in the olive press. That's what's shaping right now. Let me, let me be even more clear. You, personally, and your family, if you have not already been in the olive press, are going to go there very quickly. The Lord cannot bring forth what he desires to bring forth in your life without putting you in that olive press. We're going to have that very soon. That's part of what the shutdown is all about of businesses. It's part of what the closing of the churches has been. And so we borrowed money from friends and family. We had yet good credit, and so we opened additional credit cards. 
And finally, after we maxed out the credit cards some months into this journey, we could not borrow any more money. We were broke. Now, part of what happened is that I began to understand that God was calling me to the prayer closet. Now, when God had brought my wife to me, I'd been praying for a wife for about a year. I'd been praying for several hours a day. I'd set aside from 10 to 11 every day to pray, but that time had grown into five, six, even seven hours a day of prayer. But now it was different. We were becoming desperate. There was one bedroom in this home that had no furniture in it. And so I began praying in that room, making it my prayer closet. And I would lay on the floor with a Bible in front of me. And I would pray the scriptures. And as time went by, my prayers became more desperate day by day. Finally, we ran out of all food. We even used the ketchup for soup the condiments we ate. We were at the bottom. The tension level was incredible. I was extremely concerned about my wife. I tried to convince her to take the tiny little bit we had remaining and make a phone call to her parents and ask them to rescue her and help her get to their home. Day after day, as I read the scriptures and I prayed, from eight in the morning until five, six at night, reading the promises of God, Mark eleven twenty three and 24, and many other similar promises, Day by day, hungry, I cried out to the Lord and wept before him. My wife refused to leave, saying, I will do whatever you do. I am with you. And I finally began to recognize that what I was doing was waiting upon God that I had no human means of deliverance. I had no human means to find my way out of this desperate trap we were in. There was a repo order on our car, so we could not use it, but there was very little gas in the tank anyway. We were in a desperate place. We were going to be evicted from the house. The utilities were all at the point of being turned off. 
What I want you to hear is that the walls began to close in on me, and I began to be desperately pinched. My mental state was one of desperation, of agony, of loud weeping before the Lord, pleading for His grace and His mercy. I knew God was real. But could I say something about who I was in the hope that some of you will recognize who you are? I had up to that point basically succeeded in my ministry, in some very large congregations, mega churches. I had mainly succeeded by my skill in preaching. I had succeeded with my ability to plan and execute programs. I had succeeded by being personally able to energize people and to draw people through through gifts of charisma. I had been able to, to be very successful. But it was human spirit. It wasn't God's spirit. And I knew I had nothing left to save myself with. And I finally said, Okay, Lord, when Elijah came to this point, he went into the desert a day's journey, and he laid down under a broom tree, and if you had not come and rescued him, he would have died there. Now, I was not suicidal. I had never been suicidal. But I'd come to a place where I was saying, Lord, I'm going to come to you in the desert. And if I die, I die. If you don't rescue me, I will die. I came to that conclusion that morning. I was broken. I was humbled because for the first time in my life I had no deliverance and I could not deliver myself. And so I prepared my heart to that morning go to the desert. I was weeping uncontrollably not just trickles of tears. I was wailing before God. And my precious wife came to me and she said, you need to come and get a a bath and see if that will comfort your heart and then get dressed and then we'll pray. And in my heart, I said, no, we won't do that. I'm going to go get a bath 
and then I'm going to go out in the desert, and either God will answer me or I will die. So my wife literally helped me get to the bathtub, get my clothes off, get in the bath. She ran a a bath for me, and there was a sliding frosted glass that shut the bath in, and I closed that that door. And suddenly, out of the depths of my soul, I began to shout at the top of my lungs, Oh God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And it was one of those terrifying and awesome times when a window opened from eternity and God spoke to me and it seemed to me he spoke even as I'm speaking with you. And he said to me, good, I've been waiting for you to die. And all of the pent-up feeling and all of the bitterness and all of the anger just rose up in my heart. And I shouted at God and I said, how can you say that to me? Look what I have been through. Look what I have done for you. I am at the end. I can't live any longer. Very quietly, he said to me, You were bought at a price. You are not your own. And oh, those words fell upon me like a ten-ton truck. I was utterly crushed, devastated, and I backed right down from my anger. I knew he was right. I knew he was right. I did not belong to me. I had been bought by Jesus. And I said to him, What do you want me to do? And he answered, and he said to me, Will you receive from my hand only that which I give you? Will you receive from my hand only that which I choose to give you? And I answered, yes. And then I could hear that he was turning. I could hear God moving. He was turning and he was going to leave and I didn't want him to leave. And I said to him, is there anything else you want me to do? He said, yes. Turn the television off. And he was gone. Now, in the Old Testament, if you read carefully the stories like of Abraham, God came to his tent. Jesus, pre-incarnate, came to his tent with two angels. They even ate together. But then the Lord left him. 
That happened on several occasions. The Lord would come and speak, and then he would leave him. Certainly that happened with Noah. It happened with Isaac and Jacob. It happened with Moses. God was up on top of the mountain. Moses was called to come up and meet with God, and then Moses would leave the presence of God, and he would come down to the people. And then finally, they established a tabernacle. God outlined what that tabernacle should look like. That tabernacle held the presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God was in that tabernacle, over the Ark of the Covenant, over the mercy seat. God was leaving with a command, stop watching the television. What I'd been doing is I'd been I just purchased a large screen Sony TV while we still had money before we ran out. And I had been watching. I'd come out of the prayer closet. When we had food, I would eat, and then I would sit down in front of the television for several hours, sometimes into the wee hours of the night, to salve my heart. to just be able to veg out, to block the pain. He said, stop watching the television. So I found myself going into the living room when I finished praying at five or six and sitting in front of the television but not turning it on. And there was such an ache in my heart and such a a brokenness in my heart I had no idea how I was going to survive. I was dying. I was finished. I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm dying. And if you don't deliver me, I will not be delivered. I will receive from your hand only that which you give me. Now, I'm going to tell you the miracles that took place. But before I do, I want to come back and say to you, I no longer am willing that the Holy Spirit or that God should come to me and speak to me and then leave me. I'm in the new covenant, not the old And the new covenant is different than the old covenant. That's why I opened this broadcast with the question, how real do you want God to be to you? I want God to be so real in my heart and in my life that he never leaves me, that he's always dwelling in me and I dwelling in him. I want to be as close to God as a man can be.
So Jan and I were sitting in the living room. It was that night. I'd not been able to talk basically all day. I said to her, did you hear me yelling at the top of my voice at God? Did you hear me screaming out and crying? And she said, no, Ray, I didn't hear anything. It was absolutely silent. I said, what? She said, yes, you closed the door and I didn't hear anything else. I was very concerned. I said, did you hear God speak to me? She said, no, I didn't hear a thing. So I told her what God had said. We held each other and wept. And she said, Ray, I accept. I will only receive from the hand of God what he chooses to give me. I will not receive anything else. And she began to pray like that, and she began to say, Lord, my life is a blank check. I put it in your hands. Spend me any way you choose to spend me. I'm yours. I made the same vow with her that as a couple we would only receive from the hand of God what he chose to give us. At that moment there was a knock on the door. We went to the door and there was a man there. He said, Do you all need groceries? We said, oh, yes, indeed, we do. He said, well, help me. Come out to the car. We carried into the house 16 bags of groceries. And, oh, did we have a feast that night. We celebrated that night. The next day, there was a another knock on the door and there was a another man that I had met at the Palm Springs Mall he was a Christian man he said to me pastor would you come with me I need you to go visit with me with an attorney I said I don't need an attorney he said I know but Jesus said I was to take you I said okay so I got in the car and I rode with him was a Christian attorney, and we sat down in his office, and there was some small talk, some chit-chat back and forth. And finally, with a smile, the attorney turned to me, and he said, Pastor, what can I do for you? I said, I don't have any idea. I don't know why I'm here. He got a look on his face, a smile, and he said, Pastor, do you need money? I said, absolutely, I need money. He got up and he went to a safe and he opened it and he brought back a briefcase. And he opened it and he began to show me little baggies with precious stones in it, gems, sapphires, and all kinds of precious stones. He said, I invested in this 11 years ago. I'd like to liquidate them, but I've not been able to. I'll give you 15% of everything you can sell. 
I said, I don't know anything about gems. I don't know one gem from another. He said, doesn't matter. They're all in baggies. Here's a price list. I'll give you whatever you sell, 15%. I shrugged. I said, okay. I walked out of his office with $250,000 worth of precious stones with a handshake. I brought it home. I showed my wife. She was stunned. She said, how are we going to sell them? I said, I don't have any idea. She said, I do. Let's wait until the repo man goes, and we've got enough gas in the tank. Let's just pray and ask Jesus to guide us, and we'll go wherever he directs us. I said, okay. So we waited for the repo man to go take a break. And we got in the car and just drove, saying, Lord, you tell us where to turn, when to turn, and where to go. He took us to Barstow, California, out in the desert. And as we approached Barstow, we saw outside of town a large encampment with white tents, shelters, and a big sign saying gem sale. Those are common in Southern California. So we drove in, and we took the briefcase, and we went to the largest tent, and we said, we have some gems for sale. Would you be interested in looking at them? And he immediately said, absolutely. I'd like to see what you have. He said, come back here when we close tonight at 5, and I'll look them over. I have a motorhome, and he showed us where, and he said, just come on by, and I'll take a look at them. So we carried that briefcase fearfully all day. That evening, we went to his motor home, and he had a table, and we laid out on that table the gems, and he began going through them, choosing certain ones that he wanted. When he was all finished, he purchased just over $50,000 worth of precious stones and paid us in cash. We drove home rejoicing. We took the money the next day and the gems back to the attorney. We gave him his briefcase and he gave us 15% of just over $50,000. Now, he also pulled out of his briefcase a 17-carat sapphire with several other large stones, and he said, why don't you take these to Leeds Jewelry Store in Palm Springs and put them on consignment, and I'll give you 15% of that as well. So we did that, and the owner of... Leeds Jewelry Store in Palm Springs called the attorney and made arrangements. And we waited on God. And we prayed. And as I was praying, he said to me, quietly in my spirit, go back now to Washington, D.C. You're not finished there. And I said, Lord, 
I've done Washington. I don't want to go back. Jan will never go back. So I went and spoke with Jan. And she said, Ray, I would have to have a very direct word from God. Now, please understand, we were very immature in Christ. We were just learning how to walk in intimacy with Jesus. Some of you already know how to walk in intimacy with Jesus. You know God is real. And you want him to be totally in charge of your life. But most of you have no clue how to be intimate with God. That's part of why I'm telling this story. I said, Jan, let's pray. So we got on our knees and she said, Ray, I have to have two signs. One property has to be given in Washington on which we can build a new church. And secondly, we have to get a call from the manager of a radio station in D.C. that you know asking us to do a program for him free of charge on the air. I said, okay, I don't like that. It won't happen unless God moves. So we began to pray, and as we're on our knees, the phone rings. And it's the owner of a large piece of property in Washington, and he said, Ray, if you'll come back and open a church in Washington, I'll donate this property for the new church. Well, that was a significant gift, a large gift, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth. As we went back to prayer, the phone rang again, and it was the manager of the radio station, 1310 a.m., saying, Ray, would you come back and host a community show for us? I said, yes, we're on our way. The only problem was we didn't have any money to rent the U-Haul truck. At that point, a U-Haul truck running between California and Washington, D.C. was just over $3,000. We had used all of the money we had received from the gems to pay all of the back debts. And we had prayed and said, Lord, we cannot leave California if we leave a debt unpaid. Everything has to be paid. We knew we could not pay back the credit card debt, but we laid it all on the table before the Lord and we repented for not believing in him, for providing for ourselves. We repented over that debt, and the Lord was very clear with us, I forgive you, but never go in debt again. And I have not, and we did not. Some people have said to me, Pastor, you know you could buy a new car on time, and you could ask the Lord to give you the money each month to pay the bill. I said, no. I will not walk that way before God. I will receive only from the hand of God what he chooses to give me. I will not test the Lord by saying, I know you'll give me the money, so thank you for the wonderful ride. Are you kidding me? 
You can't walk that way with Jesus. I can't. So we packed the house to be ready to go. We knew we were coming back to Washington, and we packed the house. And we waited each day praying, having no idea where the money would come from. And then one morning, like every other morning, the phone rang. The gems that we had put on consignment had all been sold. We went to meet the dealer who had been responsible for the consignment, and we were paid. And with that money, we rented a U-Haul truck. We loaded it. My dear brother, Don, helped me load it. And his son, Tim. We hooked the car up on a trailer, and we headed back to Washington, D.C., Now, we thought we were coming back to Washington, D.C. to immediately open a church. But, of course, when we got back, all of the money that we received from the gems was gone. And we stayed a short time with my daughter and her husband, praying and waiting on God to open the way for us. We ended up being five years without a home, living with a a wonderful couple that were not Christians. That's a whole nother story. But during those years, five years with them and two years on our own, without public ministry, we read Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, time after time. I stopped counting when I passed 50. God met us. God changed us. God squeezed us in the olive press. We learned the ways of God. But I have to confess that even after all Jesus did for me, I still found myself with my charisma and my ability with language to convince money to to come, to convince people to give, to bring people to church, to institute programs, until finally I came to an utter end of myself. I won't tell how that happened today, but I finally came to an utter and broken end of me. And when I came to that place, the Lord has come in and taken possession of me. And he no longer leaves me. He is mine, and I am his. I don't spend any money without his direction. I come here and I tell you exactly how much is owed and I wait upon the Lord 
for him to move in your heart to bring that money. And I want to tell you today that last night we were still $200 short. Several people gave contributions yesterday. The person who had made a commitment for a large amount called me and or texted me and said, how much are you short? I told him exactly where we were at, and he said, I will put a check in the mail this morning for the amount I pledged. I rejoice in that. And last night, a brother from out of state texted me and said, how much are you short? I texted him back, and I said, we're $200 short. He texted me early this morning and he said, it's absolutely essential, Pastor, that you stay on the radio and preach. I will send the amount necessary to cover the last portion of the bill for June. I thanked him. I rejoice in the mercy and kindness of Jesus. But I want to tell you how real this is to me. And please, you may not understand, but I'm going to try to say it to you. I don't try to win anyone as a friend. I don't try to win anyone to come to church. I don't try even to win anyone to Jesus Christ. I no longer use any human spirit power to try to gain what I want or what I think I need. I am totally dependent upon Jesus for life, for breath, for whatever he chooses to give me. That is all I want. Now, let me be very straight with you. Trying to win from people their allegiance, trying to win from people financial resources, trying to convince people of the necessity of what you want to accomplish, takes a great deal of energy and time and calculation. I will no longer engage in any of that, and I no longer do in my life. I know I could have come, and in my human energy and my ability to convince, I could have moved to the FM side of the dial already. But I refuse to do that. I'm not going to run a campaign to try to convince people to give large sums of money to put us on the FM dial. I only want what Jesus wants. If he doesn't want me on the radio, I don't want to be on. What is most precious to me in my life is that I be connected with Jesus in such a manner that I never leave him and he never leaves me. This world holds nothing for me anymore. I want sinners to come to Jesus because he wants them to come to him. I want sinners to be convicted by the presence of the Holy Spirit as I speak what he puts in my mouth to speak. I want to 
speak words of rebuke and comfort as he puts words of rebuke and comfort in my mouth to speak to you and to those I minister to day by day. I don't have an agenda. Oh, I like this person, and so I'm going to spend time and energy trying to build a relationship with them. Or I like this person, or I don't like that person. I don't walk that way before God anymore. The friends I have, I have because God called them to me and said, these are the people who will walk with you in the journey I've called you on. Sometimes people walk away. And that's okay with me. If that's what Jesus wants, I want them gone out of my life. I want friendships. I want dedication. I want financial resources. Only as directed by the Holy Spirit. Sunday I lead a small group of people in my home. I've invited you to come. That invitation stands. But I only want you to come if the Holy Spirit draws you because there won't be any human magnetism here. There won't be any manipulation here. There won't be any control here. We are a people gathered in the name of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit It doesn't matter to me whether we're small or large. I only want revival in the hearts that Jesus comes to dwell in. I want to read this for you in the last minutes we have. John 15. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. Remain in me. And I will remain in you. Do you catch it? Jesus wants you in him, and he wants to be in you. He wants total intimacy with you. He wants to be so real to you that the world begins to fade out of your sight, and you no longer are interested in the chit-chat and the worldliness and the foolishness. He wants you to be in him, and he wants to be in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Oh, you can bear fruit out of the human spirit and out of flesh, but it will not last. The only fruit that remains is that which is born of the spirit in your heart and in your life. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Have you ever heard an apple tree grunting out fruit? Of course not. The fruit is produced naturally as the sap rises and feeds the branches and feed the apples. That's how the gospel works. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. 
such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. See, he wants us to ask for things in his spirit, not in our flesh. Well, I'm going to continue this broadcast tomorrow. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. If you'd like to be a part of a Holy Spirit fellowship, then, then come. It'll cost you. You can call me at 703-489-1785 and I'll give you directions. Or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go online, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find the YouTube videos. There you'll find the podcasts. There's so much more I want to talk about with this. So much more I want to share with you. I want you to be in total intimacy with God. I want the world, the flesh, and the devil to be consigned to hell. I want you for Jesus. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. It's been a a wonderful gift to be able to speak with you about this. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Before the presence of His glory With great joy With great